You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. A new series called The Comeback. We're going to be in part two of that today. Part two, to me, is, is probably the biggest key. Uh, it's what most people would say is the, the hardest part of the comeback. Uh, but just to rehash, I, I don't want to go through the whole message from last week. You guys can go to the podcast and listen to that. But we basically were just talking about the fact that we hit these setbacks. We hit these setbacks in life, and we usually get it because of decisions we make, because the whole root of the whole thing is that we don't learn to be honest with ourselves. We have a way of selling ourselves. We're our own greatest salesperson. And so we hit these setbacks. And because of these setbacks, our life is set up for this, this comeback. And, you know, the hardest part about a comeback is what we're going to be diving into today. Most psychologists will tell you the hardest part of any comeback, whether it be in the athletic arena, whether it be something with retirement, whether it be something in the arts, whether it be something even at work, whether it be from an injury, the hardest part by far is the mental game. The mental game. The mental side of a comeback is extremely, extremely tough. In fact, most people will look at the comeback and look at it and feel like it's on the other side of this major wall. And this wall that's standing in front of them is the mental side of the comeback. It's, it's where we have to feel like we almost got to kind of climb. If, if you remember last week, we talked about this, this boxing ring and talked about the aspect of getting knocked down. And I made the comment about, you know, getting up. You know, but getting up is just one part of the beginning of, of a comeback. You know, the get up is, is honestly... Sometimes probably the easiest. It's what do you do after you get up? What do you do after you got knocked down? What do you do after you've gotten yourself up off the mat? You know, I used the story talking about Rocky and, and Mick, the trainer, saying, get up, get up, get up, you dirty bum, get up. And, you know, when we do and we get up, life's not the same, is it? Life has a way of changing. In fact, I just want to take just a second some of the mental hurdles that I wrote down and I even talked to some other people and kind of brainstorming that we struggle with is if you think about an injury, when somebody gets injured and they're recovering from that injury, there's that mental roadblock, that big, the big wall, this big wall that they got to climb with, with their body saying, you know what, is my body going to hold up? Is my body going to be the same? Is my body going to be able to do what it needs to do? The word that I wrote down in my notes is self-doubt. You know, one of the big issues that we deal with mentally is the aspect of self-doubt. Most of us, when we have some sort of a setback in our life, boy, self-doubt has a way of creeping up, doesn't it? The other thing that, that I wrote down is the aspect of the fact that you, you got defeated or the fact that you messed up. You know, it's amazing how invincible we feel when we're a teenager or when we're younger. But then when life actually kind of gives us a gut punch, whatever that may be, whether it be from our own decisions or whether it be from the decisions of other people that impact us, once we have a setback, it's almost hard to, to overcome that mentally understanding that, that, yeah, it can happen to me. Some people are going to struggle with self-doubt. Some people are going to struggle with the fact of what I'm talking about is a feeling of, of inadequacy. You feel inadequate. You know, I, I talked to... Some people before I've had the privilege of being able to do a lot of things with high school sports for many, many years. And by far, it's so amazing at the beginning of a season, 
the beginning of a season when everybody's put in the training, they put in the time, and they're showing up in that very first game where everybody feels like this is their year. And then all of a sudden, one win turns into two wins, and there's a loss. And then you get a couple of more wins, and then there's another loss. And then maybe there's a slip-up and another loss. And all of a sudden, all the desires and the dreams of a team prior to that first game compared to mid through the season, it's like you start having this separation. And one of the separations that starts happening is a loser's mentality. They start going, you know what, maybe we're just not that good. See, the aspect of a setback and getting defeated will create in you, if you're not careful, a mental capacity to struggle with feeling inadequate. Maybe I'm just not that good. That's another hurdle, a wall that we have to get over. Another one that, that is really tough when you're having a setback and, and God's orchestrating a comeback is the mental game of the fact that it's just, you know, it's not easy. You know, there's a lot of times where, where people will, well, they'll retire. They'll quit or they'll stop because they'll say, you know what, it's not worth it. You know, I, I don't know if I'm willing to put in the time that it takes to come back from whatever the setback was. That mental game, that, that's that concept of getting up off of the, the arena, up off of the mat, and making a mental decision saying, you know what, yeah, I just got beat. Yeah, I just had a setback in my life. Man, it's going to take some time to come back. And for some people, it's just a tough decision. You know, that's, that's where the word that I wrote down is, is your determination. You know, a setback and the mental capability that will happen is the determination that it takes to come back from a setback is hard. You know, the word that I wrote down that actually my son, we were talking through this, and I said, son, what, what mental challenges do people really, really struggle with when it comes to comebacks? And him and, and Amy and, and really the, the consensus from both boys and Amy was this. They got to have a will to want to. The will to want to. And you know, and I don't know where you're sitting today, and we're kind of in the beginning of this series. You know, we had our first part. We're only into the second part. But, you know, not only do we got to learn to be honest with ourselves, even if the truth hurts our feelings, that's what we talked about last week, but we also got to understand that, you know what, do I want to? Is there something that I know God wants for my life that I have not been able to grab a hold of yet? And am I willing to do what it takes? Do I want to do it? You know, the fourth thing that I wrote down that kind of goes along with that is you got to lose the I can't mentality. You know, your body and, and your mind and the way that it works when you have a setback because you feel inadequate, because of this struggles with determination, because of these feelings of self-doubt, you've got to make a conscious decision to say, you know what? I can't is not going to be a part of my vocabulary because Scripture tells me that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And because he can, that means you can. I know a lot of people that have sold, they have sold themselves short on what's best for themselves because they believe I can't. And then the last thing that I wrote down before we dive into God's Word and really get into the heart of the message it's probably the biggest key of all. It's probably what really, if we were to look at it, the reason why we struggle with being honest with ourselves, 
because the truth hurts our feelings or the reason why we have these moments of setback where we go, man, what, what was I thinking? Is the last thing that battles mentally, and it's pride. You know, you've heard people say all the time, well, pride comes before the fall. It's in Scripture. That's actually not what that Scripture says. It's actually Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, and it says pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. See, that may seem like it's the same thing, but if you were to look at that, it's really describing two different concepts. Your pride, if you try to do things on your own, if you try to say, you know what, I can do this. I don't want to get anybody else involved. I'm embarrassed. I have struggles. I'm going to kind of put on my mask and make people think that everything's okay, even though I have real struggles in my life. And when you have that pride where you're not willing to allow other people, and when you're not willing, in particular, to allow God to be Lord of your life, you know what that leads to? Destruction. And you know what? When you have that self-confidence, this haughty spirit, that, that you go from self-confidence to self-arrogance, you know what it says? Be ready, because there's a fall coming. You know, this, this mental game that we're going to talk about today is really, really all throughout the Scriptures. I, I really got intrigued. This, this series that we've been preparing for a while, I am really excited about it, because it just, I mean, you know, when things just make sense biblically, it's so easy to talk about it. And, you know, one of the things that's throughout God's Word is this aspect of how He calls us to prepare ourselves mentally. In fact, the Scripture that I want to share with you before we dive into the two stories, we're going to end up in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 8, and then we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 3. And those are the two stories that I want to share with you that are going to kind of give us this, this aspect of a mental game. But the Scripture that kind of launches this is actually in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, renewed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then listen, we, we hear that scripture talked all the time. Yeah, we hear that like, oh yeah, yeah, by the renewal of our mind, yeah. But listen what it says, it gives you the that. Like there's a reason why. So, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, I believe more than anything, the comeback that we are talking about, about getting up off the, the mat and pursuing something in life that's bigger than yourself and, and living your life just not for yourself. See, I think the way to grab that is you've got to gravitate to what is it that God wants for me? And one of us, one of the things that all of us would say is, boy, Mickey, I would love to know. Boy, I'd love to, if I just knew, if I knew what God wanted me to do, if it was so obvious, I would be willing to do that. But man, there's been some things in my life. There's been some setbacks in my life. There's been some decisions in my life. And I feel like it's disqualified me. Well, number one, I want you to know that's a lie. That goes back to the things we're talking about with this mental game. You don't need to have self-doubt. Right? You don't need to feel inadequate. You need to have a little bit of determination. You need to kind of push down the pride and let other people help you and let God's work speak to you. You need to have an I can mentality, not an I can't mentality. And that discernment is going to come, what Scripture says, that you can see what God's will is, 
the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God if, if you will take time to not only err on the side of truth with yourself, but to renew your mind. To renew your mind. What does that look like? It's kind of like a reset button. You know, there are times where I have different devices. Maybe it be a phone, maybe it be my Mac or, or some sort of a computer. And I've got to kind of, I've got to clean it up. Like there's so much stuff in the storage that the brains of that device cannot hold anything else. So I have to kind of, kind of have a, a reset. You know, there's sometimes where, where viruses or different things will get on something and, and you don't know how to get rid of it. And you say, you know what, I know what, I'm, I'm just going to do a factory reset. I wonder what it looked like if, if we allow God to, to take the things in our minds that we don't need and push those to the side so that we can make more storage and more room for the things we do need. You know, there's a lot that's there. But I want to share with you two stories that I think really show this the most. Two stories that are really going to help us to understand what is the mental side of the comeback. Again, the mental game is when you get up and you get ready to say, you know what, I'm going to go do something more. And you look, and the first thing is this ginormous wall. And you know on the other side of this great wall is your comeback story. If you can just get over it, the mental fatigue of going, that just looks too big. Well, let me share with you God's word. John chapter 8, John chapter 8 is a familiar story to some. And I'm going to start in verse 4. Verse 4, just to set the stage, uh, this is a story where the Pharisees are trying to test Jesus and, and they bring to Jesus this concept of this woman that's been caught in adultery. Uh, last week we talked about you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the beginning of that chapter. He's trying to let them to understand what the truth is. And it gives us a major, major biblical concept to the mental game that goes on with the comeback. And starting in verse 4, I want you to listen to this. It says, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him. You know, the first thing that I want you to know mentally is the fact that you have got to get around people that are for your comeback story. You know, this is talking about you know, it's something we overlook a lot of times. But, you know, there were people when Jesus came onto the scene that they were trying to test him and entrap him. In this situation, you have two people that are being challenged by the same group that was against them. The group was the Pharisees. Now, I'm not here to debate or have a big message about the Pharisees. Here's all you need to know about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very religious people. They actually knew God's word more than anybody else. They would have been required, in order to be considered a Pharisee, you would have need to have memorized or known the five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in that process of understanding those books, they understood Moses' law. They understood what it was that God was needing them to do. They understood all those things. The problem is, is, is they had missed God's law with legalism and didn't understand who Jesus was and the grace that was coming in. So not only were they trying to entrap or, or test Jesus, but they also were going against this woman that had been caught in adultery and using her just as their pawn. They're just their pawn to get what they wanted. 
Can I hit a pause button for just a second? A part of the mental, a part of the mental challenge that you're going to face in this comeback story that's called your life is you're going to have people that if you're not careful, they're going to use your setback for their own advantage. They're going to use your setback trying to get to something that they need. You say, Mickey, how do I handle that? Boy, I wish I had an answer. I wish that was so simple that I could just say, well, you know, we turn into you know, the book of, of Hesitations, chapter 3, verse 4, and in there you'll see whatever, but it's not there. Scripture tells us that we love people. It says, you know what, anybody can love their friend, but I tell you to love your enemy. And, you know, this is really tough, especially if, if some of these people that you feel like aren't on your side uh, could be family members. Yeah, I know that's tough. What I want you to do is to mentally, to mentally engage in God's word. And know that some of the same things that you're experiencing are some of the same things that Jesus experiences in his life. You know, he had 12 amazing disciples, and one of those betrayed him. He had some amazing people that were close to him that kind of turned their back on him. And so what you're experiencing, I'm not trying to justify it. We talked about that last week. I'm not here to justify anybody's actions. But I am here to help you to overcome, to overcome the setback mentally to get to the comeback. And so you've got to make a decision. You know what? I'm going to get around some people that are for my comeback. Can I take a side note real quick? I believe that's Crossroads' biggest desire. We're for you. We're for you. Just like in that worship when we were talking about this blessing that at the end they were singing and they were literally singing that over you. We're for you. And you know who else is for you? God is for you. So let's pick up the story and see how Jesus handles this. Obviously, we know in this story, he bends down and he writes in the sand. And he says, you know, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. You know, they're trying to condemn this woman. They're using the law of Moses. And Jesus is on the scene. They're trying to entrap Jesus with this Old Testament law. And Jesus is starting to explain to them that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And now there's this aspect of grace. There's grace over you. And he writes in the sand, and then he stands up, and he says, Who is without sin? Cast the first stone. And I can only imagine the thumps that start hitting the ground as people start dropping their rocks, and they turn around and they leave her. But listen to what happens. This is so good that I want to read it verbatim. It starts in verse 10 of chapter 8. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. You know, it's amazing how quickly when we start seeking forgiveness and we see where forgiveness comes from, a.k.a. Jesus Christ, that he goes from being our Savior to being our Lord. Here's a woman that because of her own decisions, not the decisions of other people, but because of her own decision, she was in a lifestyle that by Old Testament law, rightfully so, she was to be stoned. But now she has found her Lord, and her Lord has forgiven her. In fact, let's keep reading. It says this in verse 11. It says, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You know, one of the mental things, and I just want to read what I wrote down 
is I literally put down one of the mental biblical games that you understand is that you don't have to live in the regrets of your setbacks. You don't have to live in the regrets of your setbacks. Now, can I just a second? I, I mentioned last week a book that I'm reading. It's called Double Blessings by Mark Batterson. I, I am in about six chapters of it, and it is amazing. I mean, it is so good. I still recommend that you get this book and join me in reading it. And he made a comment that was actually a quote from a pastor out in Texas called Ed Young. And he was talking about this concept of forgiveness, and I think it really fits here. He was talking about the difference in penalty and consequences. See, I think some people would read this, and they would say, you know, what does that mean that nobody's condemned her, and Jesus says, neither do I? So you have to understand that, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's in God's word. In Jesus, through the cross, we have forgiveness. What does that mean? The penalty of your sin has been forgiven. I think most of us struggle with these setbacks because we feel like that because of what we've done, that there's some sort of penalty or punishment that's on our life. And you need to know that that does not exist. That's not biblical. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for the forgiveness of your sin. In other words, you can have forgiveness, meaning that your penalty, your punishment, the wages of sin is death. Guess what? He gives you the gift of life. So in other words, he has gotten rid of that penalty through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by accepting him, accepting him as your Lord and Savior, your punishment is paid. But there also is another side of that. There are consequences to our sin. See, I think sometimes we, we get distorted on that. We live in a season of regret thinking that we're being penalized or punished because of the sin that's been in our life. When in reality is, God's not punishing, nor should anybody else be punishing, but there are consequences for sin. Can I put it a little bit simpler? Uh, you know what? You could go out here and, and you could go speeding down the road. And that speed result in you having a wreck. And you could have walked away from that vehicle with zero energy, zero injuries. In other words, nothing happened. Now, the car was destroyed. The car was tore up. There's some things that have to be fixed. But for you personally, you do not have any resemblance of the fact that you were choosing to speed that resulted in a wreck. See, there's no penalty or punishment for your choice that you made to speed that resulted in a wreck. Consequently, consequently, guess what? You don't have a vehicle to drive. Because of the choices that you made, you have not been punished you don't have any penalty, but the consequence is, mm, now i got to find a new ride. Now i got to figure out what I'm going to do to get from point A to point B. Now, rather than it taking me 10 minutes to get from my house to where I need to go, now I need to plan for about 30 minutes because I'm on a bike. Or now I need to spend about 45 minutes because I'm walking. See, that's not a punishment. That's a consequence. Why is that important? Mentally speaking. Mentally speaking, you don't have to live a punishment-style life because of your setbacks. God has forgiven you. Your setback can be as much in your rearview mirror as anything in your life. Will there be consequences? 
I don't know. It depends on what it was. But as far as God is concerned, guess what? It's time to move forward, to get over that mental wall and saying, you know what? I don't have to keep coming back to the mistakes that I've made in my past. The only way I keep coming back to the mistakes that I make in my past is if I keep repeating those same mistakes. You know, being in this quarantine along with everybody else, you probably have gotten more time to hang out with your family. You probably played some board games. You may have played some card games. We have two smaller children, and we have been watching Disney movies. And just the other day, we were able to watch one of my favorite movies, The Lion King. And I love that movie because of one simple scene. It's when that monkey, the monkey's talking to Simba, and he, he's talking to him about going back. You know, Simba had made a decision. He thought that he was kind of the reason why his father had died. And we find out that it wasn't his, him. It was his father's brother, Scar. But Simba was carrying that weight. He, in fact, left the pride land. He left everything that was supposed to be his, his inheritance. He left it and went to the Akuna Matata. Don't worry. Be happy. Everything's going to be great, you know. And he had this lifestyle, but there still was this part of him that knew that there was something more that he was supposed to have. But he thought, because of decisions in his life, that his punishment was for him to never get the things that were supposed to be his. Well, here's when the monkey finds out he's still alive, and he comes to him, and he has this wonderful stick. And he's talking to Simba about coming back and taking what's rightfully his. And he says, but I can't go back. Simba says, I can't go back. And the monkey takes that stick and just wham, hits him right on top of the head. And Simba goes, why in the world did you do that? And he goes, what does it matter? It's in the past. And then he goes to hit him again, and Simba ducks. And he goes, ah. So maybe we don't live in the past, but we learn from it. I believe that's the mental challenge that I would tell you, biblically speaking, of what he's talking about with this woman at the well. He says, now go and sin no more. See, there's a response. There's a response that's a part of this comeback. There's a response that mentally you got to say, you know what, i got to make a mental decision that I'm not going to keep repeating the past. I'm going to allow the past to be one of my teachers, and I'm not going to repeat it. I'm going to learn what it means to be obedient. You know, there's another story that, that I think is really, really good. It's really, really good. And, it, and it's in Acts. I told you guys it would be in Acts. Acts chapter 3. It is by far, now I'll give you a little bit of insight about me. This is my favorite story in God's Word. It is my favorite passage. I could sit there and study it forever. It is what launches the amazing gospel to go throughout all of the world. And it's all hinged around one miracle of this lame beggar. Now, to set it up in Acts chapter 3, what is going on is you have this lame beggar who's being brought literally by his mother and put at what's called the beautiful gate. So that when people are going to the temple, he could be sitting there and he was completely paralyzed. And he would try to get people's attention and he would beg for alms. And then he would turn around and his mother would come back and, or whoever was responsible would pick him up load him back however they did that in the biblical times and take him back home but every day he would show up trying to make some sort of physical contact with people to get them to number one notice him that's key to number one notice him 
so that hopefully they could meet a need for him because he wasn't able to meet the need for himself. Can I pick up this story? I want to pick it up in verse 4, and it says this. And Peter directed his gaze at him and did John. So you have Peter and John who are going to the temple, just as they always did, being obedient, and they have caught the eye. They noticed. They noticed the beggar. There's so much that I could say about that because we talk about right now making sure that you know that you're aware of people that are going on. But he noticed them, and he noticed this beggar. But listen to what happens. This is such, I mean, it is my favorite story. And John, or Peter said, listen to these words, look at us. Look at us. In other words, have you ever been in a situation where somebody says, hey, look at me. Like, give, I want your full attention. Peter's doing this, this beggar. I can imagine he probably got down on one knee and looked him right in the eye and said, hey, look at us. And then listen to what he says. Man, this is so good. And he, being the beggar, fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So in other words, the, the beggar now is going, oh, I got their attention. And they're going to address me. They, they have acknowledged me. So now I have an expectation that I'm going to get something from them. And then listen to what they give him. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. You know, here's what's amazing. The other biblical concept that's part of this mental game, not only do you have to understand that you don't have to live in regret, that that mental wall that's in front of you, a part of this comeback, and thinking, oh, but I can't do this because of something I've done in my past. Let it go. But another thing is, the other side of that wall, I promise, is more than what your expectations are. See, this man was, is in a begging state, and he's begging for alms or silver or gold or something financial. And when he gets the attention of Peter and John, he's thinking, whew, man, I'm finally going to get something I need. I'm going to get alms. I'm going to get silver. I'm going to get gold. I'm going to get some sort of money. And they look at this man, and they let him understand. I want you to catch this. Listen to me. His expectations were way lower than what John and Peter's desires to give him was. And they said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I tell you to get up and walk. You know, one of the mental games that we have to understand that's a part of this comeback is to realize that God doesn't want to just bring you back to the normal everyday life before whatever the setback was. Like the other side of this mental wall is not just life as you knew it. God wants more. God's got something better. You know, that's one of the things that's really different, spiritually speaking, than in every other aspect. A lot of people, especially in the athletic world, they just say, oh, if I could just go back to be as good as I was before the injury. That's not the way God works. God says, you know what? I want to help you get over this wall. I want you to help get over this mental wall. Because on the other side of the wall, it's not life as you knew it. It's life more abundantly. He's got better. The other side of the mental wall is better. He's got more. And he wants you to experience that. I believe that's what Scripture's talking about when he says, I came to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. The other side is abundance. So here's the, the mental concept. Write this down. You must 
learn to redefine your expectations. You must learn to redefine your expectations. Are there consequences for decisions we make? Yes. Does that mean that from that point now I have to have less? Because of disobedience for the rest of my life, I have to have less than? No. What it means is because of decisions in your life, you have a more than. You have more than some others as far as God's grace, which results in a more than type of life on the other side of that mental wall. I think most people sell themselves short way too many times trying, trying to just get back to what is normal rather than understanding that God's way for you, his desire for you, what he truly wants in your life has never been set aside because of your decisions. The only thing that's ever set aside God's blessings in your life, the only thing that's ever set aside God's desires for you is your lack of forgiveness. See, that's what's so amazing about God's word. If you want to understand what the better than looks like, if you understand what I'm talking about, let, let's recontinue in this story. Listen to what happens with this beggar. And, and one of the things I do want to point out, you know, the first story I showed you, the adulterous woman, that was because of her decisions. Guess what? This beggar, he had done nothing to be a beggar. He was dealing with what life had given him. He thought that was just what life was going to be. Like, this is the way I was created, and this is the way I'm going to be. And you know what God's saying? You know, no, no, no. No matter whether it was for your own decisions or for something that you've been created. Like, for some of you guys, you're set back. You didn't make a wrong decision. Somebody else made a decision for you, and it's affected you. It may have been parents got a divorce. It may be that, that mom or dad couldn't put down the bottle. It may be that some sort of crazy decision was made. There was somebody that made a decision and caused you major loss in your life. Well, guess what? The comeback story is just as much for you as it is the person that made the decisions that caused the setback. But I want you to listen to this beggar. Oh, this is good. It starts in chapter 7. So he tells him to get up and walk. And then watch what happens. And he, being the beggar, took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So I want you to know, the woman caught in adultery, she left there and said, you know what, I'm going to learn what obedience means. I'm going to learn to learn, I'm going to learn to live life by learning lessons from my past and to be obedient and to not continue in that sin. The beggar immediately starts walking. There's so much there that I, I don't really have time to deal with it today. But there's so much that takes place in those fractions of a section as far as blood flow and the medical. It's just such a miraculous thing. But he's jumping around, and guess what he does? He immediately starts praising God. He immediately starts doing something that he's never been able to do, jumping and leaping and worshiping and praising God. And then look at what happens. This is so good. Verse 9, and all the people, that's key, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they, the people that saw him, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, the, the great part of, about the, the better, and here, let me just read what I wrote down. Is that okay? God has a way on the better side of it 
to redefine what you're known for. He redefines what you're known for. The beggar went from being known as a beggar to being like, wow, that's the guy that represents the miraculous. You know what else it does? It redefines how you are used. Not only is it how you're known, but how you're needed. He went from being a person that's just a beggar to a person that now is carrying the gospel. He's starting this, what's going to be the catalyst of the New Testament. Outside of Jesus Christ himself and the crucifixion, this beggar, do some research, read this story, and look at how it launches what ends up being the missionary journeys and the gospel that goes out through all the world. Because people saw something and they were in awe and in wonder. See, a life that was set back, that gets over the mental mentality and gets restored and has a comeback, you know what? People notice that. People notice that and it caused them to react. And then the last thing that I wrote is he even brings worth to the setback. See, here's what's really cool. On the other side of that mental wall, in fact, it's in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says this. That God, for those who are called and loved by his name, he can use all things for the good. See, the amazing thing about the way God works in this mental concept is, is even the things that you think are holding you back, because of Christ, he can use those things. He doesn't, make good, he doesn't make bad things good. Don't mishear me. But he can use bad things for good. He can take what you thought was your, your lowest moment. He can take what you think is your, your thorn in the flesh, your chains, your bondage, your struggles, your setbacks. And God can take those things and listen to me. And he can make it a catalyst in your life. Not only for your comeback, but he can use it for other people's comeback. He can use you in such a way that people will look and say, wow, God, what you did in them, will you do it in me? See, I think that's the key. I think that's the key. Here's the way I wrote it. So that big mental wall, that big mental wall that is staring you in the face, that big mental wall that is staring you in the face, know this, because of Jesus in you, that's key, because of Jesus in you, it's nothing but a step for a climber like you. Like that wall, I know it seems like a mountain. I know it seems like it's unbearable. Like how am I ever going to get over that? And I want you to know because of Jesus, you can look at that thing, and guess what? For climbers like you, for climbers like us, it ain't nothing but a step. So, man, let's go. Let's go. I know this is different, and we're online, and I don't get to come out here and put my physical hands on you and hug you and, and embrace you and tell you how much I love you. But can I, as much as I can, reach through this screen and let you know that I love you, God loves you, he's for you, he wants better for you, he wants you to get to the other side of the wall, not to just go back to the norm, but to go back to something more. He wants more and better for you. He wants your comeback story, not because he just wants to change your life. He wants to change other people's lives through your story. The question is, are you willing to start climbing? Are you willing to take a step? Are you willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to let the self-doubts and the inadequacies and the and the I can'ts and the, 
And I'm going to tap into some determination. And I know it's going to be hard, but I'm willing to do it. And I'm going to learn to be obedient. I'm going to swallow my pride. And I'm going to let other people get around me. And I'm going to start pursuing God. And I'm going to be obedient. Obedience is the key to the comeback story. And I look forward to sharing even more next week as we go into part three of what does this comeback look like. I love you. I can't say that enough. I feel like I'm saying that more now than I ever have because I want you to know, because I can't physically see you, that I love you. And I hope that during this time that you understand just how amazing you are. And I hope you understand that no matter what's happened in your life, there is still so much more. Please, don't live in regrets. Learn from the past and pursue God's future. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.